Algar Productions. Despite the title, the following podcast is most decidedly not for kids. This is the Kids Love Batman podcast with your hosts, Matt Robotham and Ron Algar Watt. Episode 7 I've Got Batman in My Basement and Heart of Ice with Jason Wallace. Hello, Fred. No, I'm, I'm definitely not going to keep We're that We're back that was... with another fun filled episode of Kids <laughs> Love Batman. There's no ice in any of what you just said. This That's week's episodes wrong. explore the classic Heart of Ice and also the classic I've Got Batman in My Basement. Hmm. No, needs more ice puns. <laughs> also joining us for the very first time on on any of our shows as a as a guest rather than a performer is uh, Jason. Great, gl- great to have you on. Jason. Yeah, ice to see you. I tried. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I tried to speak uh. earlier, but my computer was frozen. <laughs> oh, God. That's frozen my favorite like movie, the heart by the way. Of my beloved Nora. <laughs> like the heart of my beloved. Is it Ellie? Shit, I don't know the movie Frozen. <laughs> Let it I just go. realized, yeah, I was trying to make a joke about something I'd never seen. Well, when has that ever stopped us before? Uh, we are definitely back on the um, one good episode, one bad episode bullshit. It's very rare that we get one best episode, one worst episode, though. <laughs> yeah, in terms this of is... in terms of whiplash, we got a got a huge one. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think this was the worst one though? Really? Like this we... is no, I don't know if this is the worst one. Uh, but this is widely believed to be the worst one. This is probably, out of the ones we've had so far, the worst one yet. Surely mm. because not, you know, the execution is sort of like pat, but the premise is so thoroughly wasted that yeah. it feels like, it feels insulting. Like, really? This is what you gave us? Yeah, you could you could definitely see this creative team taking that idea and making something interesting out of it. You're not wrong. I just, like... The the two worst ones we've had up till now what have been uh, Sewer King and uh, Boss Big Ass. Uh huh. And both of those had had one thing that this episode doesn't, and that's Batman doing things for most of the episode. Uh, both of those had very like throwaway one off created for this show, especially forgettable villains though. Mm-hmm. And this one has an uh, allegedly iconic like top five. I've never bought that. But top five Batman villain. Oh man, so. no. He the, the penguin penguin's way up th- there. Listen, if you were in the uh if you were in the Batman movie from the nineteen sixties, you're a top tier Batman villain. Well yeah, and he was like after the Joker, he was the next like one of the next two choices for who to who to put in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <sighs> well, let's get into it. Matt, why don't you tell us what happens in the Excellently titled, I've Got Batman in My Basement. We sure do. Midnight in Gotham City and larceny is once again afoot at Scenic Gotham Museum, home of the fabulous Van Alster, I guess, Farbage egg. And what's this but two criminals, one clearly voiced by Rob Paulson, attempting to steal the egg. There's only one crook in Gotham that these two could possibly be working for, the fiendish egghead. Oh, or possibly the penguin. Yeah, okay, it's, it's the penguin. So he meets up with his hired goons at the abandoned Gotham Birdseed Factory, where his plan is seen by America's favorite detective, Encyclopedia Brown, and his pal Sally Kimball. This was not the crossover I was expecting. 
Anyway, then Batman arrives, thank God, to do the thing he do best. Kick the shit out of the Penguin. Unfortunately, Penguin knows Batman's one weakness. Gas! Gas! Which he sprays in Batman's face, knocking him out. Encyclopedia and Sally load Batman, a 210-pound man, yes, of course I know how, how much Batman weighs, into the Batmobile and then escape. Because stealing the Batmobile is like the easiest thing in the world. But before that, we get to see the, the Penguin wail on the Batmobile with, with his umbrella, like that would be in any way useful. Eventually, Encyclopedia drives, okay, the Batmobile back to Idaville, and they stash Batman in the titular basement, where they hook up with Bugs Meanie and the Fonz for some reason. While they try to figure out what to do, the Penguin's vulture tracks the kids, and the Penguin follows, hoping to retrieve his Fava J egg. Oh, uh, yeah, the kids stole the egg. That was a big deal. So luckily, the kids have seen Home Alone, like all children in 1992, except for me, and set a bunch of traps around the house. This easily bamboozles one of Batman's top rogues and his henchmen, buying time for Batman to regain consciousness so that he can spend six additional seconds beating the shit out of the Penguin again. Later, Encyclopedia Brown tries to hook Batman up with his mom, but Batman is still dating Lady Justice or something. The end. <laughs> I, I can't believe you just glossed right over the phrase, the Penguin's Vulture. <laughs> Not like, to be confused with the Vulture's Penguin, a Marvel no. character. <laughs> that was one of the main characters of the episode, was this ridiculous-looking bird. And you just the, barely even mentioned him. There's a part at the beginning of the episode where where uh, the Penguin is uh, screaming at his thugs, and it's very clear that he thinks the Vulture is the only gang member pulling his weight. <laughs> it just makes me wonder if, like Catwoman with plants, like he, he treats birds as better than people. Yeah. Does he own the bird, or is he an p- equal partner? Or well, gentle, well, gentlemen, it appears that once again, Leroy the Vulture has one employee of the month. <laughs> You'll just have to try harder next time. Leroy shows initiative and is perhaps the only henchman I have ever had under my employ that has actually hurt Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now a few words from Leroy. Really, boss, under your employee, under your wing was right there. <laughs> Look, there's such a thing as low-hanging fruit. Don't you come into my home and tell me how to make bird puns. Don't you come into Wouldn't my it... cage and tell... My nest, please. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm just gonna get into the, like, what is the penguin? What is he supposed to be? What, what is he? <laughs> like, he's, his... As motifs goes, he's a mess. He's mm-hmm. okay. They they clearly kept the uh, basic ideas of the Danny DeVito design for the the Tim Burton movie. Like right, he's got the dr- longer hair and the and the flipper hands. Yeah, but they dress him up like the uh, like uh, the regular Penguin. Right. Like and he's not like he's not like the eighties like uh, 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 Jose Garcia Lopez Penguin, but uh, he's still pretty well gonna- dressed. You're going to have to give those of us who have not read literally every Batman comic a little more on that. What do you mean? Oh, he so he was the guy who did like the way the characters looked in the 80s. He's the guy that would do yeah. the packaging for like uh, the superpowers action figures. Okay. In my head, this is what the DC universe looks like. Okay, but what was his version of the penguin is what I'm asking. I just like he had like the blue uh the sort of blue tuxedo, the colored umbrella, the massive mm-hmm. gut. Okay. Like well, he looks so, like he swallowed a beach ball gut. <laughs> I so he's supposed to be rich and snobby with a bird theme is mm-hmm. the gist of it, right? But yeah. then also he's got trick umbrellas mm-hmm. and again the the flipper hands and I just, I just don't 
there's a lot going on. Well, I don't know if we talked about this on the episode or not, but we've definitely talked about this. The Penguin was originally like he was like a a reference to like some mark, like some 1930s marketing character or something. Mm -hmm. Which I assume Bob Kane ripped off like everything else he did in his career. Sure. (laughs) Is Bob Kane the uh, Gene Roddenberry of this show? (laughs) He sure fucking is. Okay. (laughs) Except that Gene Roddenberry actually created something. Well, fair enough. I just, I, I don't, I've never understood why he's considered such a, such a high ranking villain, apart from the fact that Burgess Meredith was amazing. I mean, but, you know, that show has a lot to, uh, has a lot to go for the ongoing popularity of these characters. Yeah, well, but, well, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these Batman villains, there's some kind of, you know, the, the classic thing is that they're sort of avatars of these sort of like psychological issues or something mm, like that. Right. And that's why um, most of his guys go to Arkham instead of jail. Yeah, exactly. So I think think that the penguin is supposed to be like he's one of the few villains in the rogues gallery that comes from a place of privilege like batman Mm. and so there's a sense Mm. of him like you know if he just if batman just sort of punches down all the time it seems like you know those sort of quasi fascist kind of things about batman just end up flaring up but if you have him punch somebody who's completely snobbish and provincial and everything like that then it's okay Sometimes well, that, you have to punch across. <laughs> that that would be an excellent take, and I'm assuming you're basing that on versions of the Penguin you've seen. But that's that's not what we got here, really. No, this is a very this is once again a very like bird themed character wants bird themed treasure. Well, this is exactly well, the same thing that they do with freeze in the next episode where they have sort of they've got both feet they've got one foot in one river and one foot in another river right Mm -hmm. and on the one hand we've got the old sort of camp 60s sort of like you know themed versions of these villains where they talk about birds and cold all the goddamn time and then they've got the (laughs) other ones these other sides where they're actually trying to explore their psychological issues and take them seriously and everything like that. And the balance is just not quite right. And I don't think it ever really can be because you're trying to play both of those sides at the same mm. time. Right. There's something I think that's one of the great things about this show is that they did manage to thread that needle more often than they didn't. I mean, it does work most of the time. Right. But when you take a harder look at it, like these elements are incongruous for a reason. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. I suppose so, but this also was maybe maybe the most stock kids cartoon uh, plot ever. A hundred percent. Like the the script does not do the penguin any favors in like making him interesting or dynamic or relatable. Yeah, he sure no, it this, sure doesn't. This could have been any like non murderous Batman villain. Yeah, exactly. Like, and anyone you could plausibly believe kids could could take out. I and mean, like oh, Al, you mentioned this while we we're watching the episode, but like. Like, the Penguin's defeated by a bunch of kids. Like, the Sewer King didn't even have that problem. No, the Sewer King enslaved children, at least. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he's one up on the Penguin, I yeah. guess. At least the Sewer so. King had pet alligators. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy has his, has his uh, vulture and presumably other birds we didn't see in this episode. <laughs> yes, but the alligators were clearly under the yoke, at least for most of the time, of the Sewer King. Mm. Whereas this vulture is clearly an independent contractor. Yeah, I guess that's true. We did debate that for quite some time, and I think that's where we landed on that. <laughs> There's a level uh, of sort of professional respect between the two of them that he does not extend to his henchmen because he constantly just bags and rips the shit out of them all the time. 
I I don't mind that. Like we got to have some villains that are that are shitty to their henchmen. That are not have best some that friends are... with their with their henchmen. Yeah, I like I like a, I like a mix of both. Um, but what the one thing I did like, and I guess I should have made this my good thing because I don't really have a good thing for this mm. one, is. He walks in, and Jason already mentioned a little bit how just, like, snobby and provincial he is. He walks into this, like, middle-class suburban house, and he's just r- ragging on everything. And yep. it's not it's not just his entrance line. It's not just one thing he says as he comes in, and then he gets on with it. He keeps doing it, mm-hmm. and it's so bitchy, and if I didn't think Catwoman would sue me, Caddy. Yep. Like, it, it's, I kind of like it, because he's, he's terrible. It's just He's like just looking it's, down on everyone. It's this perfectly fine suburban home owned by this like working like this working single mom and just like what a shithole. Look at mm-hmm. this chair. Can you believe she put it here? This place has no feng shui whatsoever. <laughs> how how bourgeois rugs. Yeah. Leroy. He literally says the word bourgeois. Yep. Like, Leroy, what? shit over here will only make the place better. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jason, what do you got for a good thing? Well, uh, you know, we've already wasted, I think, more words on this episode than were ever needed. And we're probably in the script in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, there is something to be said about uh, towards the end when uh, Batman is uh, sort of half conscious. Uh, he's still weak from, you know, uh, being gassed, basically, for the umpteenth time. Um, and he grabs a screwdriver and ends up sort of swashbuckling with the penguin with his sort of, you know, umbrella laden stiletto, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. and that whole thing has got that, it calls back to that kind of like Errol Flynn kind of pulp action thing. And it gives Batman, I don't know, a thing to do. So Mm -hmm. that like, what is that? Maybe 10 seconds is, uh, Mm -hmm. the the only sort of redeeming part of this episode. Yep. No, and I, I legit liked that the Penguin, like, as a as a rich, privileged guy with a sword cane, he's obviously taken fencing lessons or or something like that. Sure. And Batman needs just any metal object he can find. Like, he's so resourceful, he's so, like, MacGyver about it that, all you know, all he needs is a screwdriver. I, I do kind of like that. It's not a Phillips head, but it'll do. Yeah, this is all I could find on short notice. It was behind all the lumber. Still, you know, those 10 seconds out of 22 minutes is uh, yep. real rough. I, Not great. I, it's I, I said this before, but like, was Conroy in contract negotiations? I think Batman maybe has 10 lines of dialogue that could easily have been looped in from previous episodes. Like, he's not in this, like... At all. Matt, yeah. I guess this is your bad thing, huh? Oh, yeah. The, Batman spends the almost the entire episode unconscious. Guys, it's 1992. You must surely know by now that kids do not want to see kids helping out their favorite characters. They just want to see their favorite characters. This is like the goddamn Junior Ghostbusters all over again. Where's that pre-grinded axe I had? <laughs> Plus, this is episode 13, mm-hmm. which means if they aired on weekdays this would have been week three by by week three are you already ready to do a batman without batman episode yeah. like you've just barely hooked the kids are you ready to lose them already mm-hmm. and like following this up from like watching like the mob episode last week with which also was like which was just like less batman and more about like just these mobsters lives yeah but that was at least a compelling like story about sure if you're a if you're a, if you're a grown-up if you're a kid yeah. watching that you're bored out of your fucking mind 
No, this is another aspect of the same concept. You're right. What this this story about the penguin shitting all over the concept of like suburban ennui and bourgeoisness <laughs> like wasn't uh-huh. good enough for you? <laughs> well, I suppose we found our kids love Batman this time. <laughs> well, what was your good thing though, Matt? Uh, I really love the penguin's voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. He just like they don't do the Danny DeVito thing, which would have been easy. Um, well, I mean s- that was. That was definitely, like, I know Tim Burton didn't write the script, but that was definitely his pitch. Like, sure. let's make him a disgusting freak who's also a circus performer. Mm-hmm. That's that's so Tim Burton. Um, and they're like, here's nah, something I'm we'll gonna, use some of this. But, here's something I'm oh, going to get into real, real quick. Um, circus, circus is the villains in your second Batman movie, huh, Tim? Mm-hmm. So you really only have two things, clowns and swirls. I mean, yeah. Have you met Tim Burton? Unfortunately, no. Also, circuses and like are supposed to be very colorful, and mm-hmm. s- the 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 swirls should also be colorful. But Tim Burton only does black and white. Yep. So, like, you also lose the one interesting visual thing about both of those things. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, but I, I, yeah, the, this penguin is like does have a pretty interesting voice. Yeah, and so I looked it up, and it's apparently Paul Williams. Mm-hmm. Writer of We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, The Rainbow Connection, and my personal favorite Three Dog Night song, Old Fashioned Love Song. Like, mm-hmm. it's really good. He brings a quiet dignity to the character that is instantly lost by, well, everything else in the episode. I don't know about quiet. I'll give you dignity. <laughs> yeah, I was it's a little. Dignity! I was a little <laughs> underwhelmed by the voice at first, just because I guess I'm so connected to Burgess Meredith doing the voice, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, now that now that you mention it, Matt, there is some kind of like it, he really does lean into the sort of you know steering, you know, uh, staring down the incredibly sloped nose kind of aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. No, and and it's that thing I was talking about last week where I I will give credit to Andrea Romano for this. She picks people with like who are performers, who are actors, but that aren't putting on a voice. Like, mm-hmm. everyone in the world, every seasoned voice actor, like, Jason, you're a performer. If someone came to you, like, if you were working back then, and someone came to you and said, like, uh, we want you to audition for The Penguin, you would 100% at least, uh, at least as one of your uh, uh, audition pieces, pull out a Burgess Meredith impression, right? Like, that's just the go-to for this. Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah, I would absolutely do that. And And instead... This guy brings something different to that, but also his his inherent, like his basic voice has a unique quality that you don't hear in a lot of shows. And it, I, I really like it. Now, to be fair, I auditioned for most roles with a Burgess Meredith impression. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's usually Burgess Meredith as Rocky's trainer. Yeah, I mean, that... you, heard, you guys should have heard the first version of Kutch. Get yeah. up, Rock! <laughs> that uh, might explain my surprising lack of work, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Not the pandemic, huh? It's just your your first. No, no, yeah. I actually just sort of realized the way this show works, it's almost like they're doing their own special guest villains. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like Paul Williams, um, uh, Mark Hamill. All the all the main villains are somebody. Like they're not just like this was their first job. You you probably you probably remember them from, you know, (laughs) P is for psycho and the president's neck is missing. (laughs) But um, I, Paul Williams is one of those guys who's like, yeah, he did a bit of acting, but like, as you point out, he's a songwriter. It's mm-hmm. It was that weird thing that happened in the 70s where like 
writers and sort of behind the scenes people became celebrities. Like, um, yeah. Like we only know who Bruce Valanche is because this sort of thing happened. Like he's a he's a sitcom writer. He's he shouldn't be a guy. I'm still but... not entirely sure why I know who Bruce Valanche is. Because on those panel shows like Match Game or like Hollywood Squares or whatever, like all those, uh, like they didn't have enough celebrities, so they're like, uh, this writer's funny. Let's get him. <laughs> what about uh, what about that guy who wrote the that Muppets song? Yeah, let's get him. Why not? Is Paul Lynn still alive? <laughs> Well, we got Charles Nelson Riley. They're the same guy, right? Yeah, basically. I love that in the 70s, there was a gas shortage and a celebrity shortage. <laughs> there was a what shortage? Gas. Thank you. That oh, was no, the catchphrase from this episode. Gas. Gas. <laughs> also, if you look up, I, I'll I'll get off this in a sec, but if you look up Paul Williams in Wikipedia, his list of associated acts is the most impressive thing ever. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's. Uh, the Muppets, The Odd Couple, The Carpenters, and Daft Punk. Wow. That is breadth of work there, my friends. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't uh, often see the Muppets and Daft Punk in the same place, but when I do, you know you're going to have a good time. I just want to see Kermit in one of those helmets. I don't often right? see them in the same place, but when I do, I'm on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> or God, I hope I am. I hope I haven't been dosed by gas, gas. <laughs> so the sort of fake good thing I had was uh, this episode contributed to my running headcanon that Batman is trying out a p number of potential Robins before finally settling on Dick, Dick Grayson. Like, I just I think every time a kid appears, he's just sort of sizing him up like, mm -hmm. hmm, OK, athletic. This one didn't check any of those boxes. But yeah. This one checked no boxes. Detective. Oh, he's a shitty detective. Okay, never mind. <laughs> All we need now is a shot of Batman sort of crouching on a rooftop and pensively crossing off a name on a clipboard. Mm-hmm. Well, and this kid fell into the unfortunate trap that every animated uh, redhead did for the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. which is he is an insufferable nerd. <laughs> so yep. thanks for that. This is how. This is why I am the way I am now because TV made me. That oh way. right, you're one of those. <laughs> yes, I'm a small child. You didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'd forgotten. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, we've known each other for so long; it's, it's easy to escape. Your you mind. do have you do have progeria, so you know. Mm -hmm. I have that uh, um, Billy Quizboy disease. You have the reverse Jack disease. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or or reverse Benjamin Button. I'm aging. Wait, no. Wait, <laughs> that's <laughs> normal. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Well, hang on a second. We all have reverse <laughs> Benjamin Button disease. Even Benjamin Button, weirdly <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, that... So, Jason, we touched on your bad thing a little bit, but let's yeah. get into this. Well, basically, the 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 bad thing for me is a kind of a systemic one, right? Because there's a premise here that could actually be very interesting instead of just this sort of pat kind of, you know, Encyclopedia Brown ass story, right? It mm -hmm. could be that, you know, um, we have Batman sort of connecting with this young kid who's interested in like sort of detective work and solving crimes and stuff, mm -hmm. and he could sort of put 
you know, that kid under his wing and actually sort of get him to sort of in a kind of like a proto Robin kind of sense, kind of teach him some stuff about like detective work and like, you know, have him kind of shadow on a really low level case, a street level case or something like that, you know, some someone's gotten their purse stolen or someone's been leaving single bricks on the sidewalks <laughs> in the suburban We're neighborhood. Baffled by that. It was I so just, weird, man. It's a like, single brick. I'm right there with him. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And you just see random shit lying around. I don't know what to tell you. Just one no, brick I, right in the middle of a sidewalk. I, I get what you're saying, though, and I think it would be a very interesting like part of Batman slash Bruce's psyche that he always connects with kids because, mm. you know, he's he's basically stuck at eight years old watching his parents get murdered. So, like, I, I love the idea of him seeing other kids and and trying to like make their lives better in yeah. some way because because his life was ruined like that would be very good well and honestly it's nice seeing batman a hero of children hanging out and being nice to children yeah but he wasn't hanging out so much as sleeping on the couch i don't know there's one shot where he's like where he, the, there's two kids sort of surrounding him and he's just sort of slumped on the couch and it definitely looks like he was the first one to fall asleep at the sleepover <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were all surprised that they didn't, like, put makeup on him. Mm -hmm. And, like, you, you said, like, uh, Drew, like, insert dick here. And, yep. you know, yeah, he said he's had one too many edibles and the yes record is over. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so let's get into my bad thing. Boy, they really had to dial up the stupid on those children for, like, to keep, to make this a whole episode. Oh, man, everyone in this movie is dumb, or in this episode is dumb. Like, there's so many points where it just could have been like, oh, Batman, you need the antidote that's over there in your famed utility belt that everyone knows about? Mm -hmm. I'll go get it. But in, what? What? What is he saying? Tab? Table? table? Capsule? What? Did you say Captain Planet? Like, it, it was just so painfully bad. And yeah. I, Jason, I think you said they were deliberately just like trying to string him up like well if we give him the tablet then he'll leave so let's just <laughs> pretend we don't know what he's saying oh yeah no this is those They're those kids are away from hobbling him <laughs> those kids are absolutely like on the road to misering uh, mm -hmm. a batman absolutely yeah. and there's that you know being batman's number one fan is some fierce competition so like i should say so <laughs> also now i just imagine annie wilkes being in uh, being in arkham <laughs> that that fits uh <laughs> matt well, no, I guess we did talk about it. Did we talk about your bad thing? I mean, we've been talking about it the whole time. Oh, yeah, we talked but... about it, my bad thing. Okay. Yeah. Just the fact that he's not in it. Yeah, no. There's very little Batman in this Batman episode. Yeah. it's uh, Which, is, which as we have seen before, is not necessarily a knock on the episode. But in this, no. con in this context, it 100% is. I liked that mob guy one okay, but as we talked about, I don't see the appeal for children. But this one, I don't, like, I, Matt, you... you you mentioned this in passing, but mm. there was that trend that went on from the beginning of comics. It's probably still going on now where mm. people writing to children, like writing for children or writing down to children and think this yeah. is what they want. They want, yeah. they want a kid. This everybody's like, everybody thinks that kids want to see kids doing like doing stuff with their favorite characters. Kids are perfectly happy just watching their favorite characters do stuff. Yeah, this I mean, is, I can only speak for myself, but idea. I never wanted that. This is the idea that a 50-year-old like TV exec had for what kids wanted to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is kid appeal, right? And, like, the other thing is, if you want Batman to hang out with a kid, that's why Robin exists, you morons. 
yeah, there is also that. But again, there have been some good episodes with sort of random kids. This isn't one of them. No. There are some. A couple of frames away of, you know, if they were deleted, this would end up being an episode of Arthur. (laughs) (laughs) All I know about that show is Neil Gaiman did a voice for it once, and that meme of the close-up of his his hand being balled into a fist. There you go. That's everything I know about that All you need to know. You're good. Yeah. I know you have a child in your house, so you probably know a lot more, but uh, but that's all I got. Nope, we've <laughs> dodged the Arthur bullet there, so. That's too bad. Probably as far too as old for it now, go, so. you could do worse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't want to, it's, <laughs> we don't tend to traffic in the terminally boring uh, cartoons in this house. <laughs> <laughs> if they're bad, they are bad out loud. <laughs> oh, I know. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's that's just parenting, Jason. That's that, like you're doing it right if if you if you hate what your kids are watching. That's that, that's on my mug. Bad out loud. That's my. Uh... <laughs> uh, okay, we need to start uh, talking about something that isn't this. Uh, you guys have any other final final thoughts on this one? Um, no, I think that's it, Jason. Why does this exist? Excellent fucking question. The only answer I can possibly think of is they had to fill 65 episodes and mm-hmm. you can't write Heart of Ice every single week. Yeah, this is the definition of filler. It it, mm-hmm. ple- it pleases no kids. It pleases no Batman fans. It certainly pleases no Penguin fans. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, we've had a few like this already. I, I'm a couple of times I've been willing to say, OK, this is the worst one. I don't know anymore. Mm. Like. It's it's getting it's getting harder to be objective about that because I still think the Sewer King was worse than this. But <laughs> I, I I entirely disagree. At least the Sewer King was dynamically bad, whereas this is just sort of statically bad. It's 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 bad in a in a system that is already like hokey and overused. Well, and and Bruce Tim has officially said. The the script and execution of this episode were terrible. Uh-huh. Like, this episode sucks. His word. Yeah. His word was terrible. Mm-hmm. So I would rather see an episode of King Tut having to deal with a zoning board issue. <laughs> okay. Uh so let's let's uh let's let's role play here for a sec. It's it's the early nineties. You are Andrea Romano, and they have just told you King Tut's gonna be on this show. Who do you cast? Ooh. Ooh, okay. Um yeah, that's not the, not not now. But it's the nineties, though. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, the question uh, is, what kind of King Tut are we using for the first, like, first of all, like, are we taking the sixties King Tut and just transposing is him there, into the Batman animated series? Is there a serious gritty version of him that there they actually could use is. instead, Matt? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was a run of uh, Batman Confidential that where they reintroduced King Tut. Uh, feels right. Very you know what? different um, looking character. You know what? I'm going to call it. I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yep. <laughs> In 1992, when he was like eight years old. Yep, I agree with that f- wholeheartedly. He's gonna be big. Yep, mm-hmm. both both right. literally and figuratively. Oh boy. <laughs> okay then, you're calling it. All right. Uh, so Matt, do you have a quote? Uh, yes. This is <laughs> the note I left for myself here was penguin likes egg so we'll go from there (laughs) oh how much more doth beauty beauteous seem by this sweet egg which we have scrambled for okay i assumed you would have gone with gas because that's what everyone's been uh... i'm almost certain penguin likes egg is in the bts by writer's bible (laughs) 
It's like the I one it was bullet on that point. Banner that, I thought it was on that banner that Job made. Oh. <laughs> Penguin love gas. Mission, no, wait, a, egg. Mission, Damn it. mission accomplished. Look at yeah. egg, Michael. <laughs> Her? <laughs> All right. So, now... As as you mentioned previously, whiplash is about to happen. So uh-huh. uh, protect your necks. Um, <laughs> that that sounded natural coming out of my face. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us? Uh, no pressure at all. Uh, why don't you just summarize the best written episode of this entire series? Go, do it now. Well, um, instead of summarizing, I'll just give you a play by play because I apparently wrote way too many words. No, I don't think you wrote too many. What I what I had said on social media just before we started was a lot of guests don't realize how much text like how you have to read this whatever you're comfortable with is fine and mm. then i realized oh wait a minute you read scripts written by me you're you can do this just fine <laughs> all right cracking the knuckles here we go mm-hmm. okay we open on a bizarre deleted scene from the toys that made us with a mysterious robot man spraying nostalgia all over a discount nutcracker tchotchke before we cut away he offers up a cold-based trekkie quote once again, supporting my headcanon that Bruce's parents were seeing Wrath of Khan before they were brutally murdered by evil Night Watchmen. More on this later. Also, please support my scholarly work on Patreon. <laughs> we're then treated to a Gotham Insider broadcast, shot in black and white for some reason, like the goddamn Honeymooners, with Summer Gleason informing us that not only is it the hottest August on record, but some nut with a freeze ray has been raiding Goth Corp facilities too. An in-program interview with perfectly cromulent company named CEO Ferris Boyle tries to assuage the public. Now, Boyle tells the home audience that they're, well, shucks, the people company, despite it being named by a malfunctioning label printer. (laughs) Watching the broadcast is our brooding titular hero Chiroptera lad, who, with the help of his trusty hobo sign displaying bat computer, is almost literally putting the pieces together about the stolen Gothcorp items. It turns out they form some kind of freeze cannon from a rejected G.I. Joe playset. Batman then detectives his way to the next Gothcorp target and nearly kills the plant's two poor night watchmen just after they were also almost flattened by some kind of speeding gray APC. You see, I told you this night watchman thing was going somewhere. God damn it, why won't the Royal Society of San Diego for Improving Bat Knowledge notice my work? (coughs) The beady-eyed thug driving the APC informs our man-robot from earlier that they've got company, so the Sigma from Mega Man X cosplayer fires his freeze gun. Oh, 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 it's Mr. Freeze. Well, they could have been clearer about that. Maybe drop some hints. Anyway, Batman quickly proves he's never driven in an Indiana winter before, sliding around on ice so beautiful it'd make Christy Yamaguchi weep sequence, and eventually crashing the Batmobile into a... shed? Freeze and his boys then bust in and start loading up canisters full of, I guess, industrial-grade York peppermint patty filling. (laughs) But Batman actually physically swoops in to disrupt things. After some thug knocking, including a particularly sweet 360-degree leg sweep, Freeze gets the upper hand on Batman, and after some brief, this doesn't concern you, you'll leave me no choice, horseshit, he just, Danny DeVito gif, starts blasting, accidentally freezing one of his own lackey's legs before encasing the bat in ice. Then, cold-blooded, ahem, Mr. Freeze, then orders the rest of his goons to abandon their pitiful, disabled fellow henchmen, and the APC speeds off back to the North Pole or whatever. (laughs) 
Batman escapes his ice prison and tries to pursue, but old Johnny What's-His-Name's cries for help tug on his heartstrings. Batstrings? Bartstrings? <laughs> Cut to the Batcave, where Johnny Dayplayer is recuperating in what is clearly a back-to-tank full of strawberry Kool-Aid, and Alfred gives the Bat the chat for showing a modicum of compassion for a ruthless criminal. Given that uh, Mr. Pennyworth abandoned his last ounce of human emotion during that MI6 black op in Budapest during W2, it's no surprise. Some anime-ass Tesla coil work later, John, not appearing in future episodes, starts to pull through, and Alfred drags Bruce for having the sniffles. Later, Batman as Bruce meets with Mark Hamill as Ferris Boyle, casually probing him, shut up Tumblr, for info on these <laughs> Gothcorp crimes. Boyle waves them away as the acts of some wacko fruitcake, and then matter-of-factly mentions just such a wacko fruitcake died in a Gothcorp science accident some number of moons ago. Boyle then tries to buddy-buddy Bruce with some elitist pablum about the wage slaves acting like they own the place, and our hero excuses himself in barely disguised disgust. Well, no skin off Boyle's nose. He's going to be honored as Gotham's humanitarian industrialist of the year at an easily ambushed ceremony later that night. <laughs> Another Gotham Insider broadcast about Boyle's coming award proves that they clearly had the budget for color footage, but Freeze destroys his novelty Arctic TV before we get any answers about the news station's financial state. We then get a good look at his Ming the Merciless level eyebrows, goons in matching robin's egg blue parkas constructing the cannon, and some more clumsy warm-slash-cold quips for good measure. Meanwhile, at the dimly lit public library, Batman is reviewing old newspapers on microfiche. Oh, no, wait, it's the bad game again, my mistake. An old headline from a year ago implies a sinister cover-up of the aforementioned accident, and Batman rushes off to check Gothcorp's classified files with Alfred's thermos of chicken soup in tow. At the humanitarian soiree, where they're clearly serving absinthe, given the joker green liquid on a server's tray, Batman revives his classic alter ego, Officer Mustard Brows, <laughs> and tricks a security guard into taking a paid vacation, enabling him to rifle through those files unharried. One such file, screamingly labeled Top Secret, details a tragically ill Nora Freeze, and some suspiciously well-edited archive footage on VHS does the same for Dr. Victor Freeze, and his work trying to cryogenically preserve and eventually cure his dying spouse. On the tape, the money-grubbing Boyle, with guards in tow, breaks down the door, trying to forcibly separate Freeze from the project, the equipment, and his wife. The desperate doctor fights back, drawing a guard's gun, but Boyle kicks him into a beaker-laden table and leaves him to die in a cold chemical hell, while Freeze cries out his wife's name in agony on this children's television show. <laughs> the video ends, but gasp, Freeze is right behind Batman. One ray gun blast later, and Batman is bound and hanging upside down in a snowy place like Luke on Hoth. Freeze takes this time to explain his weakness, cold skin needs cold suit, and justify his quest for vengeance against Boyle in the most convincing villain monologue yet aired on this show, then leaves for said vengeance. Batman then breaks free of his second ice prison. Okay, I have to mention, some cheeky monkey actually made him actual ice cuffs they're shaped like cuffs that's some <laughs> 60s batman camp right there uh, and then batman crawls into a scene transition outside freeze and his thug sickle show up in their ice tank and start sieging the building 
Batman avoids being frozen inside and, yes, you guessed it, swoops in again to save the 1%. After Batman does some karate acrobatics, Freeze, Iceman rides a gushing fire hydrant into a shattered window like this was some kind of goddamn cartoon. (laughs) Inside, Freeze asks Boyle if he wants to know how he got these emotional scars and even manages to partially attempted murder him before some more sudden bat fisticuffs. Batsticuffs? <laughs> Thanks to his strength-enhancing suit, Freeze manhandles Batman like some Universal Studios monster, but he's still undone by an Alfred still piping hot thermos of chicken soup to the dome. Thanks, Aladdin brand. <laughs> Batman then hands off the, again, suspiciously well-edited VHS evidence of Boyle's crimes to a chilly summer Gleason and hauls Freeze off to Arkham, where we see him holding that nutcracker tchotchke in his icy cell, weeping about failing his beloved Nora and yearning for another moment of her warm touch on this children's television show. Then everyone won an Emmy. The end. I think I, I wasn't sure, like, we've worked with you for a lot of years. We, we enjoy your company. You're an excellent performer. But I, I just I wasn't sure what kind of energy you were going to bring to this show. And I saw your very first note on this on this episode. You said, this one a goddamn daytime Emmy. They just don't give those out. <laughs> then you say, checks daytime Emmy winners. Look, we've all said some things we regret here. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly. That was excellent. It's mostly like, huh, the young and the restless is sure is listed here a lot. Wow. Look, okay. Look, they got they got to give it like they got to give it to some soap opera. How do you know that wasn't the very best one? I mm. uh, that's like picking the very best turd. Hey, I produced. Well, never mind. I mean, I, was gonna say, you... I produced a soap opera that both of you were on for many years. But was... uh, okay, fine. It's an say... excellent turd. Yeah. <laughs> Al, you're the only person on here who can tell like daytime soap operas apart. That's true. Uh, mm, and well, I can't even wait. Really wait. Do wait. That. Hold on. One of them has a little person. I know that. That's oh, passions. that was passions. Yeah, exactly. Everyone knows yeah. passions. That one was that one was like Riverdale before Riverdale yeah. happened. Well, you know, the good thing is that they eventually win a quote unquote proper primetime Emmy for Robin's Reckoning, I think, later. But that's Oh, yeah. uh, oh is that one of those that they showed in primetime to technically get an Emmy? Is that how they did that? I think so. I don't know. Anyway, they graduated up. So Yeah. And they, you know, they deserved it. I mean, this show, just like I was saying with voice acting, elevated the form. Like people didn't treat animation with that kind of respect at this point. I think this show and The Simpsons really helped like the awards community and critics and everything else say, oh, right, you guys are making art. Okay. That's right. And this show ended at exactly the right time. How's that? I just compared to The Simpsons. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, wait, what happened after the show ended? Oh, right. The Simpsons kept happening and and kept happening. I mean, The Simpsons is also still winning Emmys, so, like... Yeah, but at this point, it's one of those just, like, default, like, I don't know, who do we give it to? We want to give one to Seth MacFarlane? No. Clearly, no. they don't just give those out. <laughs> <laughs> but this this was the first, like, unqualified hit. This is the one everyone puts in their, like, top five, top three, this top one. This is very much the turn your head and just, like, oh, what are you guys doing? Well, and this is the dream team, like. Yeah. Caldini's first full writing credit, yep. uh, Bruce, Bruce Timm's first directing credit. Yeah, like this is this is these are the two guys that made all of this so much better than it yeah. already kind of was. Yeah. And, Everything is wow. firing on all cylinders in this episode, and not only that, not only is it a good episode, but it does what 
we previously thought was impossible, which is to turn, you know, the campy, ridiculous Mr. Freeze into a tragic antihero in 22 minutes. Yeah, that's and that's your good thing. And that is that is the good thing. That is the best thing. Mm-hmm about this episode by and, far yeah and it does it so well that for decades you know at least until like the new 52 i guess Ugh. uh uh this is what uh mr freeze is you know yeah. a sort of a tragic figure who you know seeks vengeance because they did his wife wrong yeah yeah There's, and, and sorry go ahead, go ahead. no this will take okay. a minute <laughs> Well, I was just going to say DC has so many cold guys, as we briefly talked about mm-hmm. while we screened the episode, that like you want to make this guy distinctive. And Batman's guys, as as you said, Jason, like have these psychological scars. And like this is a way to make this guy stand out from, uh, I don't know, Dr. Cold and Mr. Snow and all those fucking Hey, you guys. leave Mr. Snow out of this. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they're all the all of the all of Batman's Rogues Gallery are these sort of avatars for these psychological issues, right? And 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 Mr. Freeze in this form is perfect because he represents this kind of like complete um dissociation from, you know, human compassion and emotion and mm. it sort of parallels Batman's sort of process of slowly dissociating himself from sort of the man on the street and, mm-hmm. you know, the, his family and friends and all, all of that stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, you see that in this episode, they, without so much, you know, calling out and out in dialogue, they very clearly show like, these are two men who are really on the same path. It's just that they are We're not so different you and I. Yeah, well, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they're on this same path, but they're going about it in very different ways. No, and all the best Batman villains, I think, are are some aspect of that. You're mm. right. And also, I think, and Matt, you can speak to this better than I, but this version of Freeze feels like more like a Marvel villain. Oh, absolutely. Because of that inherent tragedy. Well, it's not that like that need to like go out and rob banks or whatever, you know? Like Yeah, he's, he's being got, driven by something very personal yeah, and, that, and relatable. That that, tra- that inner tragedy that like yeah. you know, gives yeah. you a real reason to go shoot stuff with a freeze gun. All right. of the crimes in this episode aren't like crimes of opportunity or whatever. They're he's strictly doing it just to exercise vengeance on Boyle, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, sorry, Matt. You said you had uh, oh, kind of a long. Yeah. Okay. So um, in the eighties, Grant Morrison was writing a book called Animal Man, which I mm-hmm. um, which ends when the 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 series gets real real metaphysical, uh, and includes a big moment surprise. Where, yeah. Mm-hmm. With well, Grant look, Morrison. Was, what? <laughs> well, look, it was early Grant Morrison. Everyone was still su- surprised at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but there's a part where uh, Animal Man goes to this limbo where characters that aren't used in comics anymore are like anyone who just doesn't get used anymore. Their book got canceled or whatever. And Mister Freeze is hanging around, and he has this great little monologue about how he's a great villain, and if someone would just give him a chance, like <laughs> he, like he could be a re- like a real character again. Two years later, this came out. Uh, kind of makes you wonder if Paul Dini said, hey, yeah. Hey, Grant, I'm going to use your thing. <laughs> oh, <that> sounds great. <laughs> oh, it's like he's in the room with us. <laughs> also, I, 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 there is no easy transition to this, but watch Doom Patrol. It is amazing. That <laughs> yeah, is watch all. Doom Patrol. If, if you are streaming the Bat Show along with us, you're probably watching it on the DC app, which is the only place that's streaming it. Mm-hmm. And... It also has Doom Patrol, which draws heavily on that Grant Morrison run, and it is so good. Yep. Sponsored by DC Universe. <laughs> yes. Look, if I thought we could get that. Uh, okay. Matt, what do you got for a good thing? Uh, so 
Mr. Freeze's suit in this episode is designed by creator of Hellboy and my personal favorite comic artist, Mike Mignola, and it fucking rules. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you can I had no idea. Yeah. You can but but once you hear that, can't you see it? Like yeah. it, the influence is, is like it's one of those, oh of course. The goggles alone are just like that's the yeah. most fucking Mike yeah. Mignola looking goggles. And the, the the interesting mix of like minimalism, but also like very detailed shadowing, mm-hmm. like it's it's very him. But yeah, you're I like you, Jason. I didn't know that off the bat, but once I was told, I was like, oh, duh. Yeah, yeah, I can course. I can see it now. So, yeah, you mentioned the goggles and especially the eyebrows and like mm-hmm. the sort of angularness of it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And again, the shadowing, just like he's always like you never see him completely perfectly lit. There's always right. like some sinister shadow over him. It's oh, so well bad. that and the fact that this show is just that also. Well, there's there's a lot of extra directorial flair in this. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, the fact that the boss showed up to direct this one probably has something to do with that. Well, it very much feels like everyone was like, guys, I think we got a hit on our hands. Let's try and put in yeah. the extra effort. This is the first script that's completely blown me away. Let's let's uh, let's step up our visual game to to meet it. I was uh, I was reading the the Wikipedia entry on this episode and they mentioned Freeze's helmet has like a frost effect over it. Mm-hmm. And apparently the studio that animated it was known for doing like uh, like flourishes like that to sort of really jump up the animation. And according to the Wikipedia page, in kind of a shitty way, they go. And that's why they went out of business. <laughs> yeah, I. Th- it's possible they took that from some DVD bonus feature or it's mm-hmm. possible some nerd is editorializing. Who sure. Knows? <laughs> I mean, who the fuck knows with Wikipedia? Yeah. I mean, is there a better way to go out of business than airbrushing something into perfection? <laughs> That's how I want to go according, out. According to this unemployed van artist I know, no. <laughs> no, they're, they're really, like Jason pointed out, the the anime level. Like, back, back when the only anime we got in the U.S. was, like, the top tier, most expensive, just most lavish stuff. Uh, like, as someone it, who was watching anime back, back around then, not quite. <laughs> No, I'm saying like the worst porn you've ever seen. Well, okay, but late 80s, early 90s, like at least in the small town I was in, like maybe in big cities, you got all of it. But all we got was like big city folk. Well, yes, you're you're one of them. You're one of them brick, uh, brick finding city folk. Aren't you? Big city Matt over here. Just leaving out bricks for everybody to enjoy in suburbia. Is that your door, boy? Just leave this door lying against the fence. Like Sorry, that kind of city boy. That goddamn delighted me. I didn't actually call you city folk, but now I'm owning it. Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, you implied it. Yeah, I did. Implied I it. absolutely, I absolutely did. No, but like out where I lived, we yeah, got you I'm know just a five animes. Podcaster. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have access to all the animes that you might have, or Japanimations, as I called them. I, that is what we called them back then, and I was not going to say that. <laughs> I'm just a simple mutated chicken Batman lover. <laughs> Weren't you supposed to be in the last episode? <laughs> Actually, there's that farmer with the mutated farm animals episode still to come. So, Oh, God, that's right. Oh, boy. That one might not be the worst episode, but it's probably the most absurd, at least in my mind. I mean, if well, Batman's fighting a giant chicken. He literally is fighting chicken boo. There is There is something comforting about the fact that we've already watched the worst episode, so... I still don't know. It's nothing but up from here. 
Uh, I don't. I think I feel like we're gonna continue to see this pattern where we get this the most stunning like next level elevating the form right next to some complete crap. I mean that is that is something to say about this series is that you know we do sort of we we laud it and we you know we you know list out its praises and you know we we you know wax nostalgic about it and everything like that. But you know watching it again, there is that feeling of like again like whiplash of like Mm -hmm. having these sort of really pat kind of you know poorly crafted kind of episodes that are just filler and then these incredible things it's you know highs and lows are you know uh but that's that's the that's been the the magic formula the sweet spot for me and matt doing this kind of a show though Mm -hmm. is like something that we love but that has enough we can latch on to to make stupid jokes about it like oh sure i i just i just think that there are some people you know who look at this series as being like oh it's unqualified i still think of it as like probably the best cartoon show ever um but that having been said like man there's some stinkers in here Mm -hmm. oh yeah no if if you if you handpicked say I don't know, 50 episodes, maybe, yeah, I would say 50 out of, like, the 100 or whatever they did, that they did. Mm-hmm. Like, y- you could say this is nearly flawless, but... Okay, okay, okay. Number, number, number one, I've got Batman in my basement. <laughs> Numbers two through the rest of them, anything with Clock King? Hey, that first Clock King episode. Yeah, I love Clock King, man, sorry. Yeah. Like, and actually, they continued to use him into Justice League. They put him on the Suicide Squad as, like, the um the guy who plans the heist, which oh, is a very right. good use of him. That, that first clocking episode is pretty good. I'm I'm sorry I said that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't also, speak to any of his returns, but uh, I like that first one. I think they did a goofy-ass one where he got the Twilight Zone stopwatch that literally stopped time, and that was that was a bit much. Yeah, that makes, uh, that sounds like something someone would do, though. Yeah. Um, we are remarkably not talking about this amazing episode, mm-hmm. though. Um, well, there's so, not much to say. It's just amazing. I, the end. I guess that. I guess that's true. Uh, my good thing is, and we we touched on this a bit already, but I love that. Yes, Mister Freeze is obviously a supervillain ass supervillain. He's mm-hmm. got the suit. He's got like the the whole shtick, everything. Also, this is a guy who knows how to do a motif. By the way, all those elements fit together perfectly. The penguin. Um, <laughs> But the real villain is this super shitty billionaire. Yep. Like, I love, like, first of all, good job radicalizing the kids. Yep. Uh, Second, Mark Hamill, like, uh, this was the role he was originally cast for. And then they let Tim Curry go. And he's like, oh, so you need a Joker, do you? Well, but he plays the smarmy, condescending douche so well he's like such an asshole like, that first scene he's got with Bruce, or no no the first scene he's got with uh summer gleason mm-hmm. we're a people company and jason you sold that very well in your in your retelling that just that that fucking you just want to punch him yeah oh you know i like you know so i like to say so that uh, the people are our real re- are the real resources actually the resources are the real resources but yeah know. it's it's the money that i roll around in naked every night but you he know. he hopes this email finds you well in these unprecedented oh. times <laughs> goth corp definitely put out an email about their their covid-19 policies also i'm pretty sure goth corp goth corp was the store i bought black band t-shirts from back in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> was that the canadian hot topic exactly goth corp? no no you were you, it was a it was a, a sort of a a uh, uh, a volunteer organization. You were thinking of Goth Corps. <laughs> yes. 
would you take the mantle and put on the black makeup? (laughs) But no, I, I do like that on like underpinning this tragedy is this just absolute irredeemable piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And it does, it does so well because you know, you've got that to focus on and it, it serves that, you know, it's, it's that much better that uh, Mr. Freeze is all of a sudden this anti-hero rather than a true villain because you've got this smarmy douche to sort of focus on as being mm. the real instigator of all this. Yeah, and you're kind of cheering him on. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that guy basically murdered his murdered your wife. Get him. Well, here's the thing, though, is that, like, for as much, like, as Freeze has, like, a real reason to be doing what he's doing, um, he still leaves one of his guys to die. Like, he's kind of yeah, well, still an asshole. I mean, he's, you know, he's emotionally cold, Matt. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> if he wanted to be on the team so much, maybe he shouldn't have gotten his ice, his legs frozen in ice. Boss, <laughs> you froze his legs in ice. I know I was there. I'm, I'm really cold-hearted, aren't I? You seem like cold. an asshole. No, don't say that unless you say I'm a cold asshole. <laughs> Okay. Which brings us, which brings us to Jason's bad thing. Yeah, um, this this episode does so well in sort of establishing a new vision for Mister Freeze, mm. right? But I think they could have, and this is I'm really grasping at straws here, but they could have still gone further in separating themselves from you know from Freeze's uh, kind of campy cold mm. pun based history, right? They could have made him that much more of a of a human being rather than sort of a a stock kind of Batman villain, but they still have to uh, and and again, I understand sort of the the logic there, right? Where they're, you know, this is still a children's television show at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and you've still got to get villains in there who are who have a really strong identity and who have these sort of like you know, quirky characteristics about them and everything like that. But God, you know, there's a version of this episode in an alternate universe where like Freeze is just, you know, a a cold motherfucker who is literally cold. And, you know, he he feels like a, a real human being and not like a Batman villain. He just happens okay. to be in a Batman cartoon. This is this is insane, but it is true. There is a version of that character. And he's on the Harley Quinn show. Their version of Mr. Freeze is this guy without the puns. And he's a little, for want of a better word, warmer. Like, it's it's baffling. But I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But uh, it's quite good. It's legit quite good. I'm not I'm not goofing here. Well, um, I'm, I might have to skip the first couple of episodes and watch it. it yeah, I, it's from this season. Mm. It, it happened just a handful of episodes ago. And it's it, oh, it's so good. Um. But you you had mentioned before that, like, standing between the two worlds kind of thing. And it's like, we talk about this show being, you know, haha, that's the whole premise of our show is like, it's for kids. But the the underlying tragedy and the and the, the drama and the pathos and all of that stuff. And the kids still get what looks like a cool robot who shoots ice. Yep. So everybody's happy here, you know? Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I think the balance that they landed on was sort of these really sort of adult, mature themes kind of percolating, you know, in the background. And this sort of high action pulp But it's still got kid appeal. Real, yeah. real kid appeal, not I've got Batman in my basement kid appeal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's, all all of that is there. And I think they actually, you know, like that formula, obviously it works. 
Yeah, and I think this informs later parts of the show. Like once once we have enough time in the long production cycle for them to realize, oh, this is it. We yeah, we did this it. This is what like, we're doing. More more like this. It definitely mm-hmm. it definitely starts firing on all cylinders. Um, Matt, what was your bad thing? Uh, Mark Hamill voicing Boyle uh, made me think that he was the Joker in disguise when I was a kid, and when he wasn't, I was super angry. Now. I'm aware that's not a great bad thing, but that might know, be the flimsiest it. bad thing you've ever come up with. I don't know. I've gotten pretty flimsy before. If you also bring in uh, uh, all the years of Trek we did, I'm pretty yeah, sure I've gone worse than this. Oh, okay, flimsy big city Matt. <laughs> <laughs> with your flimsy bricks. <laughs> um, my bad thing is a legit bad thing. I mean, it's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but Mm. this comes up in old movies, old TV shows, everything all the time. You don't catch a cold from being cold. That isn't how viruses work. He starts sneezing because he touched ice. That's no, no, maybe pneumonia, but no, you didn't, you didn't catch a cold that way. That's not what a cold is. Also, Batman, if you're running around with a cold, put a fucking mask on. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the one part of his face that isn't covered is the (laughs) one part that needs to be. (laughs) It's the opposite of social distancing. You're punching these thugs directly <laughs> in the face. Look at I, look at Mr. Freeze. His entire head is covered. He's fine. I do like the compassion. Like, we could joke, and it is inherently absurd, but I do like the compassion that he shows for the frozen henchman. Mm-hmm. He doesn't leave him behind. Like, part of it is, how did he do this? I'm studying how the ice was made, but also he wants to help this guy, yeah. and I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the first really strong indications that this Batman isn't sort of powered by what later, um, you know, uh, what later interpretations are going to grab and run with, which is this Mm -hmm. sort of like this kind of grizzled sort of, you know, uh, crime must be smashed kind of quality about Batman and really tweak it up way too much. Yeah. At this point, like you follow that arc long enough, you get to where like Batfleck is like actively murdering people. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah, But I like I like that this. Well, first of all, what we had said before about like them being able to do the camp and also the serious. It's like they can present every possible vision of these characters and will over the course of this animated universe. And he will gradually arc to this old fascist who has driven everyone away and just wants to punch things. And like, but he starts out as like a caring person, I think. He yeah. Just right. Yeah. Gradually and he loses all of that. But and the arc get, does bring gen- Terry in to like make it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Person right. Again. Sorry. Exactly. But gen- generally speaking, I think in this series and this show right the arc tends towards him being like he's still compassionate human being Mm -hmm. right he hasn't really gone off the deep end in terms of like that dissociation thing right yeah um and it's so good that this show does that because i I don't know it seems like from the 80s onward and and, you know matt maybe you can sort of speak with more Mm -hmm. authority on this um it seems like every Batman writer was like, oh, right. No, he doesn't. Batman He's Dirty doesn't... Harry. Yeah, Batman's just basically like, you know, Dirty Harry, right? He doesn't well, help people. There was a combination of, like, one, that was a very prevalent sort of feeling in the 80s of that, like, oh, sure, crime yeah. and yeah. criminals and whatever. And also, for a long time, everyone was taking their cues from Frank Miller. And I like well, that was, those That was an overcorrection wrote, from the but... 60s. Yeah, exactly. They were like, no, Batman's not like that. He's like this. And they went hard in the other direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I could write a whole thing about all, about all the stuff people took from Batman. Yeah, I, yeah. But we we actually need to start better. And we you actually will need to start wrapping new, things up here. Kids love Batman uh, com, uh, companion book. <laughs> Sponsored by DC Universe. If only. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need you to start wrapping things up, though. Yeah. Uh, let's real quickly talk about. Hey, it's that guy. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Jason, you actually got here first, so if you wanna if you wanna talk about that, please do. Sure. Um, Mr. Freeze is, of course, voiced by Michael Ansara, you know, who is Commander Kang himself from the original series Star mm-hmm. Trek Day, Day of the Dove, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, One of the first Klingons. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's fitting that, of course, he sort of, you know, quotes a Klingon proverb, right, mm-hmm. uh, in the very beginning oh, of, yeah, of like the episode. That. Yeah, it's kind of a, a very obvious sort of wink and a nod, right? Um so we've got him, right? And we've also got Mark Hamill's Ferris Boyle, like we mm-hmm. talked about. But also, Kevin Conroy, I guess, is a kind of a... They threw him a scrap because he had maybe five lines as Batman in the previous episode. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets to say uh, some, you know, like a word or two as the valet in this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, I'll, I'll park your car, thanks. Well, that's my paycheck this week. I, I think he says, like... Back. I think he says to Mr. Freeze, like, ticket or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, well, you know. I, I mean, you know how that works. Blimp. They always they always use whoever they have on hand. Yeah. So, like, I get that. Oh, we're no, one I, guy short. Okay. I, I always get the longest and you know, m- most important lines. Uh, well, yeah, you do, of course. But that's I, in your yeah, contract. I would, well, <laughs> yes, in the contract you made me sign. <laughs> Okay, uh, you have a quote for us? Yes, I do. Um, is this where it goes? Yes, it yes. goes right here. Do you want to set it up or you want me to just play it? Um, okay, so this is this is at the very end of the episode, right? Um, where Freeze is sort of, again, he's sort of, you know, yearning for Nora's touch again and, and lamenting how he's failed her and, and everything yeah, like it's that. that. It's that shot in Arkham where usually they're like, ooh, I'll get Batman next mm. time, except it's not that. And then in a beautiful inversion, we've got this broken sort of vulnerable figure, like, you know, reaching out for something from his past, right? And he's just got his last lines are just beautiful. Mm. Roll that beam footage. I failed you. I wish there were another way for me to say it. But I cannot. I can only beg your forgiveness and pray you hear me somehow. Some place, some place where a warm hand waits for mine. I mean, (laughs) that's pretty good, but I don't think it's as good as Penguin Likes Egg. (laughs) Well, I mean, we can let the listeners decide that one. (laughs) Uh, uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm have both said if they could redo any episode in the entire series, this is is 100% a legit thing from them. Mm -hmm. They would go back and fix the ending because they wanted uh, him to be his tears to turn into little snowflakes. Really, uh, in the entire series, that's the only thing that's wrong, huh? Okay. I mean, I kind of love that they're, they want to take the most perfect episode and make it just slightly more perfect. Yeah, there were. I know there were a couple of things on the drawing board that like didn't make it into the episode. There's a there's a scene that I don't even think they storyboarded where like when the accident happens, his hair starts freezing and breaking oh, off. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I would have liked to have at least seen that like yeah. drawn. You know, you, you like you, it's it's a twenty-two minute show. You have to cut corners where you can. My hair now, everyone will know I'm bald. <laughs> My beautiful hair. <laughs> to never right. again feel the wind through your hair. <laughs> the warm wind. 
<laughs> Through your warm hair. Ooh, why is your hair warm? I can't even buy a wig anymore. It's too hot. I have a genetic <laughs> condition. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for this time. Jason, yeah. this was great. Um, do you have anything you would like to plug for the people? Uh, no. Really? I mean, you don't, I, it would be tacky to plug any of the projects of ours that you work on, but I know you work on other things. Well, that, that's the thing. I think, I think the thing that I would, you know, be talking about would probably be Endeavor because that's right now it's sort of the, the, you know, most sort of time consuming project that I'm working on right now, surely because, you know, with a pandemic and everything, um, Mm -hmm. all of the, um, all the normal outlets for my work are, you know, completely closed down. Yeah. Uh, so I'm here sort of festering at home, going slightly mad uh, because oh, there's hardly any sort of outlet for a, a stage actor by trade mm-hmm. to act on a stage when the stages are all closed. Right. Well, very well then. I, I, um, I will say that I, I'm going to start Twitch streaming soon. Mm. If you're into that okay. sort of thing, uh, going to be playing some uh, some nice video games and um, talking about like you know um, acting stuff, voice acting stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, various sort of uh, exciting medias. And um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you can go to Twitch.tv/professhex. Very well. Yeah, and, and if we hadn't mentioned, we mentioned sort of in passing, but Jason has been doing voice performing for us since the early sketch days. Like, I, I was thinking about it, seven years, and he has done literally hundreds of roles for us, and he's like one of our power performers. He's has has it been that Has it been that long? You came out here to do our uh, anniversary show in 2014, which was six years ago, and you'd already been like uh, uh, working for us for a year or two mm. at that point. So My God. Yeah, I know. All right. uh, That is all for this time. I do not have the next episodes up yet, but I assume it's going to be one terrible one and one fantastic one. Uh, Actually, uh, it's two parts of The Cat and the Claw, if this is going the way I think it is. Oh, good. Uh, Kate Mulgrew. Hooray. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, we do actually now have a dedicated email address for this show. Mm. Uh, it is kids love Batman podcast at Gmail. Uh, someone took kids love Batman at Gmail, so please don't write to them or or do and tell them to give up that damn email address. <laughs> uh, the website is kidslovebatman.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at Algar at Robot Matt. Jason, do you care to give any of your social media or no? Sure. Um, you can go to, let's see, streamerlinks.com slash professhex, and that has just a bunch of, that is like all my stuff on one page. So oh, excellent. Go to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, my portfolio, blah, mm. blah, blah. Excellent. Very good. All right. So that's it. We'll be back next week. Yeah. See you, folks. For more information about this show and the people who make it, visit kidslovebatman.com. To provide financial support for this show and all of the shows produced by Algar Productions, consider a pledge at patreon.com slash Algar. That's double A-L-G-A-R. The Kids Love Batman podcast is a co-production of Matt Robotham and Ron Algar Watt. Copyright 2020, Algar Productions. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.